Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, Samahamadatha, the Agite, over all the nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of history of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Who is that in the outer court? The king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in and the king said, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, If the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. Thank you for reading that word today, Luke. Um, as I was looking through that and listening to our song, The Refiner, I was thinking about just how much um, God uses those really hard things in our life that we wish we just did not have to experience, didn't have to go through, to refine us and bring the, the bad things of our life out and bring to surface the things that are like his character. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, As we get ready to dive into the word together, my name is Jill Rice. I'm the director of ministries here at Fellowship Highcrest, and I um, wanted to give you kind of a word this morning. Some of you might have seen it on social media, um, but I was not the person that was supposed to preach today. (laughs) Um, Jonathan, unfortunately, had a bit of an emergency come up in his life with a medical issue, and everything is fine. Um, He was able to have a procedure done yesterday, and he's at home, and he's recovering today, and we are so grateful um, that he got what he needed um, taken care of. 
this weekend, but uh, that also means that uh, he's at home resting and recovering, and we just want to be able to pray for him um, today and this week as he continues to recover. Um, so today, I will be preaching his sermon for him, um, and so, yeah, um, it'll be fire because they're his words, <laughs> no, I'm uh, just asking that God continues to move in this space and time um, through his word together. Um, one of the things that has been going on for the last few months is that Jonathan and Braille and some other people have been working on a youth investment club, and you're going to hear more about that, I promise, next week, so you're going to want to come back next week. Uh, but this youth investment club is something that they've been working around. Most of the planning has happened around Jonathan's dinner table. Uh, a group of them, both inside and outside the church, have been meeting uh, at his house for dinner uh, on Friday nights about every three weeks. And the experience has been so sweet and rewarding for them. They have seen God move in some amazing ways already uh, for this investment club, and it hasn't even started yet. <laughs> Uh, but Jonathan has long said that the healthiest things that he has started in his life have happened around his kitchen table. And it's part of the reason why we put such an emphasis on community here at Fellowship High Crest. And it's a prominent role in everything that we do. And I can echo that in my own life. The things that happen around my kitchen table are some of the things that I cherish the most. They are the sweetest moments. Um, on the flip side, Jonathan would also tell you that uh, when he makes more statements than questions asked, they've given birth to some of the most unhealthiest things in his life. And I would echo that. It's true for me, too. When I stop asking questions about things, um, things start to get kind of unhealthy. But what could ever cause me to stop asking questions? Why is this so important and vital for us? It's important because of a principle that Trisha, Jonathan's wife, has taught him and many of us in the church. And it's that no behavior is for no reason. The thing that causes us to lose our curiosity oftentimes is cynicism that's creeped into our lives. See, we begin to care about something and invest in it. In our knowledge of the topic and the situation and the people involved, they grow, right? And when it grows, it leads us beyond the veneer that was on top, and we get to see behind the curtain. And sometimes when we see behind the curtain of the topic or the person or the organization or the situation, we can grow cynical about it, right? It doesn't have that shiny effect anymore. We know what goes on. But what is it that props up cynicism? Is it our pride? Our pride tells us because we know more, we no longer need the input of others in our lives. Therefore, we lose our curiosity and we stop asking questions. Our spouses, maybe they do something uh, that hurts or disappoints us and we don't ask any questions, we just fill in the gap to help us fill in the gap with trust and gain understanding and why they might have done it. Instead, we project their past onto their future, right? Our kids do something that disappoints us and we don't stop to ask them, how are they feeling in that moment that led them to those actions? And instead, we tell them what they shouldn't have done. Our coworkers, they fall short on a deliverable, and instead of asking what caused them to miss the deadline or produce something that was less than quality work, we just assume that it was because they were lazy or inept. 
And maybe if none of those are true for you, maybe someone's cut you off in traffic. (laughs) And we don't pause to wonder if their kids suddenly distracted them. And we just assume that they're a terrible driver. Don't judge me, I am a bad driver. Okay. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. I've met, I haven't met a person yet who struggles with pride which also doesn't lead to a struggle with how they thought God viewed them, how they viewed themselves, constantly feeling unloved, a constant feeling of being inadequate, and overvaluing appearances and opinions of others. See, pride will lead to a loss of credibility and influence in our lives. It's true not only on a personal level, it's true for the church in America, And it seems to be true in the scriptures. In our focal passage today, it shows us this as well. And it also shows us some questions that will help us find our way back to having a healthy curiosity. So what are those questions? Our first one is this. What unsettled conflict or unhealed past hurt is controlling your present and ruining your future? At the end of chapter two, Mordecai foils a plot to assassinate the king, but he's never rewarded for it. Speaking up about the plot would have put Mordecai at risk. He didn't know who else was involved in it. He just knew of two people. He put his neck out on the line for the king and he wasn't rewarded and that was pretty odd for those times. See, typically when somebody did something um, to help the king, they would have gotten an immediate compensation and reward. It must have hurt Mordecai to risk his life and not be acknowledged for it. It would have injured his pride to see someone else receive what he thought he should have. Because of his wounded pride, Mordecai had now put his whole people group in harm's way. Do you have a past trauma in your life? an unsettled conflict in your life that your pride is telling, that, telling you to hold on to because you're just mad, right? You've been hurt. You deserve to be hurt. You deserve to be angry. Are you allowing that thing to control your today and ruin yours and everyone else around you's future? How can we get you the help that you need for processing your trauma? How can we get you the help that you need to settle that unresolved conflict in your life? How can we begin walking towards health together? Our second question that helps build our curiosity again is, are your actions showing signs of a misshaped identity? Was Mordecai wrong? Certainly, but two wrongs don't make a right. Look at Haman's reactions to Mordecai. His pride is so injured that not only does it hurt his feelings, it boils over into rage and revenge. And not only does he set out to hurt Mordecai, but he sets out to harm a whole group of people unassociated with the act that hurt him. I mean, think about it. When they would have gotten this decree that a genocide is going to happen against them, they had no idea what was under, underneath that or behind it. When someone's opinion of us motivates us to hurt them, ourselves, and others, then we find our self-worth in the wrong places. Think about it. Haman had the approval of the king, 
He shouldn't have needed anyone else's approval, but he did. We fall into this same trap in our own lives. See, in Christ, we are fully known and fully loved. Through his life and his death and burial and resurrection, we gain the full approval of our heavenly father when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. We have all that we need. Therefore, when our opinions of others injure our pride and our self-worth and our dignity and our value, it points to that it is a cause for us to want um, to hurt other people. When we get in that place where we're wanting to hurt other people, that is a prime indicator that we're finding our identity in the wrong place. Have you had conflict with a single person, either at a church or a business or an organization, and after you had that conflict, you went out and shared a bad report publicly about the whole group? because of your interaction with that one person. How about this one? Did someone upset you at school or work, and then when you got home, you started being short with your family? Guilty. (laughs) Uh, This was a hallmark trait of mine um, when Jay and I first got married. Man, a bad day at work would mean that I would come home and I would dump it on Jay, and he wouldn't even know. When we do these things, it's a sign that something other than the Father's approval and love is shaping our value and dignity and worth. And listen, this is not a call to be superhuman and to check your emotions at the door. God made us fully human, and that includes our emotions. Our emotions are not a curse or an accident in our lives, but they shouldn't be the driver in our lives either. They shouldn't be what's in control of us. When the opinions of others cause our emotions to begin driving our actions and attitudes towards ourselves and others and God, then it should be telling us something. How can we help? How can we help you get untangled from a misplaced identity and form a healthy self-worth based on whose you are and not what what people think about you? For others, it it might not be a conflict or a hurt that exposes the pride in our life, but the value that we put on what we produce. Why is it essential to not tether your identity to your performance? Tim Keller says it this way. When your work is your identity, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. Whew. Right? If it's not work that's your particular poison, um, then substitute whatever else you're tied to your identity, and you'll likewise discover that success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. Maybe it's um, the, the type of musician you are. Maybe it's how good of a parent you are. Maybe it's the type of friend that you are. See, do you have an unhealthy relationship with what you do or what you produce? Let us walk beside you toward health. Our third question that helps build our curiosity again is this. Are you examining the character of the people in your circle? See, Haman was part of a very select group of people. Um, They were the only ones in the entire kingdom who could walk into the king's presence and not be killed for it. Haman used his access to the king 
to use the king's platform, the king's credibility, the king's power, and his influence to promote Haman's prideful purposes. Haman wasn't for the king. Haman was for Haman. The king's pride caused him to not ask any questions as to why Haman randomly wanted to give him a whole bunch of money. With no question at all, the king turns over his signet ring and signs the proclamation. Haman had to have had the the king's best interest in heart, right? The king could have trusted Haman. Doing this was the equivalent to letting someone have access to your social media or to your newsletter that you're responsible for writing. Write all of that without any oversight to what they're writing and post it in your name. Ooh, I don't... I'm not on board for that. (laughs) Well, the king's pride had now marked his legacy with being a part of a potential genocide. Our pride can tie our legacies to things that horrify us because we stop questioning the character of those that are in our circles and that we grant access to. The king had to know that Haman wasn't the most upstanding guy. But as we can see, Haman was wealthy and he had access to resources. Have the resources of someone around you caused you to overlook their character and their motivations for attaching themselves to you? Are you risking your legacy because your pride keeps telling you that their resources matter more than their character? Are the people around you because they resource you or because they help shape who you are? Who are the truth tellers in your life? Do you have people in your life that are willing to tell you the truth even if you don't want to hear it? Do you have true biblical community that you are leaning into? Our fourth question that helps us build curiosity in our lives and overcome pride is are you doubling down? Now, the proclamation that the king uh, goes out, the proclamation of the king, it goes out the day before Passover. And Passover was the most important Jewish holiday in their calendar year. It reminded them of who God was in their life and all that he had done for them. It reminded them of their identity as God's chosen people. And on the eve before Passover starts, the Jews hear this proclamation that they're going to be wiped out. They must have been thinking, if only we had a rescuer like the one that led us out of Egypt and led us out of slavery. God, who are you going to use this time? Earlier in this episode, Mordecai saw himself as the rescuer, and it put his people in the crosshairs of genocide. Earlier in this episode, Haman saw himself as the hero, and it turned him into a genocidal maniac. Earlier, the king saw himself as the one to be adored and it tarnished his legacy. As the episode goes on, Mordecai's heart changes, and Mordecai humbled himself, and he asked the person that he was supposed to be protecting for protection himself. Throughout the story of scripture, we see that God is continuously choosing to move through the unassumed weak and the underqualified. And he chooses to do that instead of using the people that we think are strong and we think are overqualified. Since the beginning of this episode, the king goes from arrogance 
to being troubled. And in his troubles, he seeks to right his past wrongs. On the other hand, Haman, he continues course. Despite his wife pleading with him to read the signs and stop. Stop pursuing Mordecai. But instead, Haman doubles down on his prideful actions. And my friends, Haman is about to have a really bad day. Real bad. Where are you doubling down on pride right now? Where is there a refusal to repent and to humble yourself, to apologize, to resolve a conflict, to admit that you were acting out of pride, to publicly state that you mischaracterized a person or an organization out of hurt, to ask for the help that you need to heal, to remove someone from your circle who has low character, to right a wrong that you've been part of, whether it was knowingly or unknowingly. See, Mordecai and King Xerxes show us there is always a pathway back if we are willing to ask the right questions. But what are the right questions? Where and in what am I finding my hope and my healing? Where and in what am I finding my worth? Am I willing to side with God against myself. See, siding with God against ourselves is how we define repentance. At Pentecost, after Jesus had died and been buried and rose again and gone back to heaven, the apostles are confronting a crowd with the truth of how they had pridefully and in their sin led to the murder of an innocent man, Jesus of Nazareth. And the crowd could have doubled down. But they chose to ask a question. They asked, how can we be saved? And the apostles responded to them, you need to repent and be baptized. This morning, I wanna offer you that same opportunity. If you've never done so, I wanna offer you the opportunity to, to repent of the pride of thinking that you can save yourself and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, he hung and he bled and he died and he was resurrected. Not because we are so good, but because God is so loving. He's so giving and his spirit is so powerful. We're about to pray in a moment and I'm gonna allow you to make this decision for yourself and there's not gonna be any special words or any special order to the words. It's just a prayer of thanksgiving. And if you make this decision today, I want you to let us know. You can do it by using the QR codes on the back of the seats or by texting the information on the screen. You can even drop by the table, the connections table in the back on your way out today and let us know. We wanna know because we wanna walk alongside you in this journey as you move toward a more curious future. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today with humble hearts. We come to you today and confess that we've thought we had all the answers in our life, that we knew the path forward. We thought we could do it on our own. God, we seek you because you first saw us. 
You knew that we couldn't provide the answers or provide the path on our own, but you provided your son Jesus as a way. As the way back to you. God, we are so thankful that you have loved us so much and you have run after us. God, we submit our lives to you. Examine our hearts. Show us where we need to turn back to you and put our faith and our trust and our identity in who you are. God, we love you. And in your name I pray, amen.